Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, within the safe confines of the lower level of the studio, this is Tackling the Chicane. All right, here we are, fellas. So that was, uh, I think, the first, very first track off of the self-titled debut album from Asia, 1982. It was the number one selling album in the entire world that year. So uh, interestingly enough, made up of a bunch of prog rock guys. So... um, Carl Palmer, Steve Howe from Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't, John Wetton must have been um, oh, King Crim- Crimson, maybe. I don't know. But uh, yeah. Basically, those guys f- formed this band and then released two albums, one in 82, one in 83. They were both really big sellers and then they disappeared. Yeah, it seems like uh, they just felt like they wanted to produce a couple pop albums, make a bunch of money and then just shut it down. So. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing about it is, and I struggled to, to pick a track uh, because there's three really good ones. And the, the third one called don't cry is off the second album. So don't cry is off the second album. That was really the only hit that uh, materialized. From that. But Carl Palmer is one of those, sort of Phil Collins type studio drummers where mm-hmm. if he's going to produce anything, it's going to be really fat, really fat sound. A yeah. lot of, a lot of fills, a lot of rolls. So it's fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I have that particular album on vinyl up in my room somewhere, but uh, never really got into Asia. Maybe it was more of just, I wasn't there. So yeah, didn't really strike a chord with me, but yeah. Yep. 82 i was 11 so yeah (laughs) and then i made a kind of a resurgence when i was in college somebody dug up a bunch of cassette tapes and all you have to do is have enough beer and start playing music from what would have been maybe only 10 years prior yeah so but uh there you go that's your uh educational piece for music today (laughs) Very well done, as always. Uh, on to the regularly scheduled programming of the show. It's been exactly a week since the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, work and whatever other stuff came up, which, whatever, no big deal. But we are going to dive into that race that I think offered a, a bit more than what we have been getting from the F1 season so far. Um, of course, Max Verstappen trots to victory, but we actually, it seems like Red Bull are kind of struggling and maybe by Red Bull, I just mean Sergio Perez. Um, so that's made it interesting. And it seems like Mercedes has potentially turned the corner on their performance this season as well. So I think um, we're going to really have to start paying attention to what happens um, with Hamilton and Russell. Um, They're starting to get the math right. Yeah. Um, 
the unfortunate thing is, is even though you're getting the math right, you're still getting your ass handed to you by 24 seconds. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, um, it, I thought the race was very enjoyable. Uh, lots, a lot of stuff going on. Um, of course, anytime we see, um, somebody try to unseat, uh, the Red Bull team, it's always fun to watch. Uh, interest, interestingly enough, um, there was a little bit of banter back and forth. We felt like, or I felt like, um, Alonzo may have taken one for the team. Uh, I think he was faster than Stroll. Mm -hmm. I think he could have over overtaken him. Um, but that's Alon that's just Alonzo being Alonzo. If team orders are stay behind him, he'll stay behind him. Yeah. Um, we also kind of joked around about how much money uh, he may be paid to do that. <laughs> but uh, he's definitely a, a mentor to Stroll. And that's his yeah. key. That's his key role right now. So So the last podcast we did, we one of the our big talking points I guess was Stroll's struggles and how he wasn't really on an equal footing to Alonzo, which is obviously still the case, but he did out qualify Alonzo in Spain and then it, it seemed like Alonzo pretty much was just happy to let Lance have this one in this particular race. They finished, I think, what, yeah, sixth and seventh. And we all know Alonzo's faster than Stroll, but it did seem like Alonzo was just like, you know, let's give the kid a little bit of confidence as the season moves on. And, yeah. You know, I mean, you're clearly that's the unselfish thing to do. Which is kind of the polar opposite of certain other drivers that we talk about, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's good to see Aston Martin up there in the mix too. Um, just overarching the race and the season so far, um, you know, Haas continues to disappoint. But as we've discussed in the past, um, that's strictly a financing issue. I think I think the drivers are good. The equipment's okay. They just <laughs> they're always just going to be right where they're at. I think unless somebody pays them a shit ton of money. So, I mean, realistically, they're still punching well above their weight. They're like, basically, any time they don't finish last in a season, it's like overperforming because we know they have by far the smallest budget, and for teams like Williams to have all the history in F1 and definitely more money than Haas and just to be farting around in the back for like a, almost a decade at this point. It, yeah. You can still at least tip your cap to Haas in that aspect. Williams had their time in the sun uh, back in the 90s. They were a two or three year juggernaut. Yeah. I believe it, they were BMW powered back then. Yeah. Um, but I still on the horizon. This 2026 season is going to shake the shit out of everything with Audi coming and yeah. Ford coming. Um, especially the Audi team is going to be pretty incredible, I think. They're going to poach a bunch of people, right, from mm -hmm. other teams. Um, and even though it'll be a first-year venture, I think um, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Any thoughts from you, Bailey, on this race? Um, I was um, doing do some homework. 
I I was watching it. I was also writing a paper at the same time. So uh, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I thought one of the more interesting points that we already covered was uh, the Aston Martin 6-7 finish. Um, Like you said, uh, Fernando Alonso has kind of taken a mentor role on that team. And I think we had a conversation about how much money was involved in that. But um, yeah, I think the most interesting part about this race for me was uh, Max Verstappen <laughs> just really? doing Max things to yeah. get his fastest lap. That was this race, right? Yeah, well, Barcelona? He's, done that. he's done that several times. So um, I believe this particular race though was where he got flagged yeah three yeah. times for exceeding track limits and basically christian horner gets on the radio and said hey uh you want to knock it off you're 20 something seconds ahead of the rest of the pack if you don't get the fastest lap i know it's going to make you sad but you know it's not the end of the world if they get a penalty even they that's he didn't care because if he would have gotten the fourth warning flag that's a penalty Probably five or six seconds. Yeah. I, and I who cares? Think it's like five seconds. So, right. He's with, playing with house money at that point. I just find it very interesting. And I get it. He's very competitive. And at, after the races in the cool down room and when he talks, it's not horrible. Yeah. Um, he's just super, super competitive. His dad was the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a, a point to be taken, he's going to try to take it. That's all there is to it, you know? Yeah, I mean, all of the drivers are completely different inside of the car than they are out. The second they step into the car and the engines fire, it's all about me if you're a driver. Nothing else matters. And, you know, obviously F1, of all of the kind of big hitters of motorsports, probably the most team-oriented, but even then, it's... At the end of the day, all the drivers care about is winning the the world championship for themselves. So, yeah. The so the other sort of interesting storyline with this particular race is Ferrari seems very um, what's the word kind of misaligned in their their the the drivers and the team are having some real trouble mm-hmm. communicating right now. And, you know, for Leclerc to be in 11th position, um, where last year, you know, it was usually them 4-5 or 3-4. Yeah. 2-3. It was basically last year, Red Bull 1 or 2 or 3. And then you would usually have Ferrari 2 and 4 or 3 and 4. You know, now it's Ferrari 5. And in this instance, Leclerc 11. Um, so I think they've just really under underperformed the development of this year's car paired with there doesn't seem to be a great amount of leadership in this particular camp. Yeah, and as a side note, interest, interestingly enough, the 24 hours of yeah. Mons was this weekend, and Ferrari won the overall, the yeah. entire race um, overall yeah. for the first time in 50 years. 
yeah, so it's I was just gonna mention that, like isn't that a little befuddling? So you can win a twenty four hour race for the first time in fifty years, but you can't put consistent performances. I know it's not the same series, it's completely sure. different people, but different people, different engineering, different technology, different everything, but the world will and and did and will continue to talk about that because you know ferrari people or ferrari fans are ferrari fans no matter what and yeah. i didn't realize that they had had a victory at le mans since 673 yeah yeah, yeah 50 years would be 73 so um but a really good looking car looked great on the podium you know it's all 15 layers of bugs and dirt and crap and yeah i didn't Unfortunately, I just don't have time to invest in, you know, watching that race for yeah. two or three hours at a time even. But it is it is fun, and it would be fun to plan that maybe where you kind of just say, okay, I'm blocking out that weekend, and I'm going to hang out with the TV on, and I'm going to try to watch as much of it as I can, especially yeah. in the, the night part of it. That's where it gets interesting. Yeah, sure. so. Yeah. Congratulations to the prancing horse, I guess. Yeah, and and Pat, Cadillac did well. Yeah. There was there was a lot of talk about how competitive that Cadillac team is, and they they finished third overall uh, behind Toyota, who was the favorite, I think, and may have won the last several Le Mans races. Uh, that those cars are no joke. It, it it is interesting because we know we have this lurking in the shadows of F1, this Andretti Cadillac thing going on. And Cadillac seems to be doing well in all the other series they're in. So I didn't, and I, I'll do a little research maybe just for my own personal benefit, but uh, there were two NASCARs yeah. running that race so, as well. Yeah, so it was, um, I think it was Garage 56 is what their nickname was. And, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Jensen Button, and then someone else that unfortunately I don't remember um, were piloting that. And was it a NASCAR entry or two NASCAR entries? Well, I I know that was like the NASCAR entry okay. that they were, and they finished right. Yeah, they did finish. Um, they weren't really in a class because it's they didn't a, know how to class the car yeah, because it's a NASCAR in you know, a race that's like hyper cars predominantly. So um, they didn't even finish last. Like they were still, no, they were still running the whole time, most of the time. I did catch the, the closing ceremonies this morning. And this race had the most attrition in a long time. Uh, over a third of the field did not finish. Yeah. Which is big. And, you know, you've got hyper cars, then you've got several layers of gt cars so porsches and bmws and things like that and then uh, now they're going to have to figure out how to class because those guys will go back nascar will go back yeah they, maybe they that was the first time since like 70 something yeah. 78 or 9 they tried the same thing and those cars didn't finish though so yeah i think they did it at, at the 50 year i think is the when they did the last nascar that must have been the last time they did it then. I think so. So they did it 50 and then the Centennial. I think that was uh, 
story behind it, if I'm not mistaken. It would be interesting to see, and I don't really know anything about Lamont other than what happened this year, but it would be kind of interesting to see if like a, a more stock oriented class could kind of like could they even do that? Like can they make a new class or Yeah, I mean I I need to read up on on that particular race too. But I know back in the day, you know, there was there was all kinds of basically streetable cars that they strip out and turn yeah. into race cars. Because so. like it would be interesting to see like obviously you have a NASCAR in there, but you know like I don't know if uh Toyota put a Camry in it or whatever, like a souped up Camry or yeah. a Civic Type R or something like that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I was so that was the other thing that was kind of going on this weekend. Um driver standings really nothing to talk about. It's Verstappen, Perez, Alonzo, Hamilton, Russell, top five. Um what would that gap be? Seventeen. 170 minus 117 a lot <laughs> yeah enough for it to probably not really matter anymore um yeah 53 so um that's basically two wins plus three points <laughs> right um so you would basically need Verstappen to crash twice this year which probably won't happen yeah but Perez, so Perez and Alonso are a little closer at 18 points. Anything can happen there. Yeah, Perez doesn't doesn't seem to have any mustard this year. Um, the, how those two cars can be have that kind of disparity in time, I, I can't figure it out. Yeah, well, it, driver <laughs> Perez is probably not. I don't know. I don't really know if Sergio Perez is truly world championship whatever if he has that stuff in him you know he is a very very talented driver in one of the best cars f1 has seen ever um but on pretty much equal hardware and we haven't really seen team orders this year either seems like Verstappen is doing much better recently I know it was really only like a month ago now, heading into Miami, where we were talking about a potential championship battle between these two, mm-hmm. and then things kind of went south for Perez. So, I I mean, let's never say never here, but it, it does seem like with each race, it's looking like Verstappen three-peat here. Yeah, um, even sadder is the constructor standings where there's a gap of about 135 points between Red Bull and Mercedes. I will say what's interesting is just going off of last year. So Ferrari are are at exactly a hundred points right now. Last year it took till like the second to last round for anyone outside of the big three to get a hundred points. So Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, Aston Martin already at what was that? 134. Yeah. And Alpine, it, what what are we, seven rounds in, eight rounds in, 40 points. That's a halfway decent haul. Mm-hmm. So I think we will actually see the points spread out a little more. It's just going to be one team is going to have a lot more. 
than the rest. Yeah, and AlphaTauri's not doing real great as a constructor. For being the B-level Red Bull team, mm-hmm. they're sitting in ninth, so <laughs> with, all, with just two points. We saw maybe the most unlucky part of the Spanish GP with Yuki Sonoda, who was running in the points and then got a penalty, um, which he wasn't too thrilled about, which bumped him down to, I think, P11. Um, so definitely a missed opportunity for points there. And it seems like Yuki Sonoda in general has kind of gotten his stuff together. Last year, we know he was liable to wreck or do something silly almost every other week, it's, it felt like. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, disappointingly, Sargent, <laughs> he's a rookie and on Williams, but I need to start seeing a little more out of that kid. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, he seems to me like he is just destined for IndyCar. Well, which and is, we've seen that before. Not I mean, terrible at all, but no. I'm saying it. I don't. I mean, look at Gro, Grosjean. Yeah. He, he's a pretty decent driver. He couldn't cut it either. I mean, Marcus Erickson dumped from F1, Indy 500 winner, and consistently in the front of IndyCar. Like, I, I think this Logan Sargent will have a good career in motorsports. I just don't think it's going to be an F1 for sure. very long. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm fine with if he can't cut it, if he gets an IndyCar ride, he'll be a good driver. Yeah, for sure. So we'll see. Um, Canadian GP coming up, uh, I think it's the 16th. Yes, that'd be next Saturday or next Sunday, right? So the 18th. Mm. 18th yeah. yeah i'm sorry it start they start practice on the 16th yeah um circuit Gilles it's in montreal so it's it's a little frenchy yeah yeah uh let's see what we got here 1978 was the first gp 70 laps 4.36 kilometers race distance is 305 and change Lap record, one minute, 13 seconds, Valtteri Botas. Uh, and I don't know if maybe it's just my mind playing tricks on me, but when we do the, when we look at these circuits, there's a lot of Botas uh, records. <laughs> I mean, he was a very good driver for Mercedes during their dominance, and I think still is a good driver. Also, I think Alfa Romeo just suck. <laughs> but yeah, he... He does seem to pop up a lot, so that is interesting. So, this is kind of crazy. The island that this track is on, Notre Dame, is in the middle of the St. Lawrence River and was created, the island was created for the 1967 uh, World's Fair. So, they built an island for the World's Fair. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I guess they... Did some stuff for the 76 Montreal Olympics um, and then sat dormant. But it looks like somebody decided we could make a racetrack there. So, yeah, I guess that'd be kind of neat work. That may be on the list of places to go. The bucket list. Yeah, last year, I think it, I can't quite remember what happened. I have the, the results pulled up, but I, I do feel like it offered a decent product. Apparently, 
And again, I don't remember. So Carlos Sainz finished 0.9 seconds behind Max Verstappen. Wow. So I don't know what that was. I don't remember. And then uh, Lewis and George, 3-4. So I guess we'll just see what happens. But hopefully we get a good good race. Similar. Spain was good just because there was a bit of mixture. I'm not exactly sure if the, the actual racing product was amazing, but I would just like to see a good hard race. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next couple of races. Um, hopefully I can we can spend a little bit more time actually watching them. It's just uh, I don't remember when we started this podcast a year ago it mm-hmm. being as difficult to try to sit down and watch stuff, but it's just been kind of busy lately. So yeah, um, like, I need to do a better man. job for sure. But uh, I did catch the full match today, um, Man City. Yeah, so I guess as a, a segue, Champions League final just happened yesterday. So before, can you kind of for myself and the listeners, can you give us sort of just an over an overview? Where are the league? Where are the main leagues in their schedule? Is the season over for certain leagues? Is soccer done for the summer? Yeah, I, mean, I so, can't keep track of any of that stuff. So that's the biggest hurdle people have to jump when they're getting into soccer. <laughs> um, the season is long, and there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so the Champions League final is crowns the European champions. So the, the way you get into the Champions League is by doing well in your own domestic league, and that varies based off of how uh, UEFA, the governing body of European soccer, uh, determines the, the strength of your league. And we don't really need to get into the weeds about that right now, but... Um, so basically, ideally, only the best teams in Europe are playing in it. Um, so this game you just watched was the basically the championship game uh, that determines the European champion. So we had Manchester City from England, the favorite by a long shot, uh, and then Inter Milan from Italy, Milan, Italy. Um, so. Traditionally, the Champions League final is the last game of the European season, so you uh, you actually have finished the entire season. So there is that. <laughs> of course, the season is it's ten months long. Seems like we have a little weather. It's all square. <laughs> it's all square. <laughs> yeah, so the Champions League final, basically, uh, to cut to the chase, the last game of the European season. So, yeah, you've you've run the gauntlet of the full campaign. This one probably felt particularly long because FIFA had the amazing idea of smacking a World Cup in between it, um, which basically extended the season like two to three weeks. So, ideally, we're not going to be sitting here June 11th next season talking about the last game of the season. Um, 
But yeah, you the season is over. And is that for MLS in the States too? Or no? <laughs> no. So you at least get to go watch some crew games. Yeah. So the MLS, uh, the domestic league in, here in America, operates more on a, a summer schedule. So it starts like early March and will end like November. Whereas the European season is like uh, like a fall sport. So it starts in the, like the beginning of August and then usually ends like mid-May. But of course we had the whole World Cup weird schedule this year. So that's why we're, we're here, June 11, talking about the Champions League final. And uh, before we even get into it, <laughs> And before we hit record on this podcast, you said oh, that wasn't a particularly great watch. No, I uh, unfortunately I found myself trying to get other things done, especially yeah. during the first half and then the first, I don't know, 28 or 9, 30 minutes of the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, for a while there, I didn't think I was going to have anything to write down. That's how fucking boring it was. <laughs> but. Um, what say you about that? Well, right off, I, I probably, of course, our recording schedule has been a little goofy recently, but probably should have warned you that this is usually how it goes in the Champions League final, uh, defensive soccer, because what is it that a coach doesn't want to do more than he wants to do in a European final? He doesn't want to lose, right? So... The, the the desire not to be the losing team very often outweighs the desire to go on the attack and be the winning team. So we are on four years in a row that I can recall uh, this match ending 1-0. And of course, just because it's 1-0 doesn't mean that a game can't be good. But this one was one of those 1-0s that was like, just get this shit over with. Right. Yeah. Right. So I know we had kind of scrapped the Scottish Cup, but talk sort of quickly about how that game went. And, you know, that's our team. So. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the Scottish Cup kind of got totally over, overdone, outdone by the fact that Celtic manager and Postacoglu left, took a job in England, um, Tottenham Hotspur, to be exact. Um, And by the time the Scottish Cup final rolled around, it was basically a done deal. (laughs) Um, So Celtic ended up beating Inverness 3-1, and it was honestly like a very routine win for them. Inverness were, in 99 cases out of 100, were never going to win that game. They're lower league opposition but um yeah so really the big talking point there was of course celtic winning a treble which is a big deal winning every competition scotland had to offer this year but (laughs) Ange postacoglu leaving was all anyone was talking about in scotland as as richard seems to be super enthralled executive producer richard tanaka um, is getting very, very close to Bailey's microphone. Um, just as a side note, um, 
Richard's been uh, pretty true to his name lately. He's been kind of a dick, so <laughs> don't know what it is. I think he misses Garrett or something, but uh, Bailey can attest there's been some couch attacks happening uh, just when we're just innocently watching TV at like 1030 and all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> it's totally he's easy. now He's now stuck on the boom, the microphone boom. <laughs> He's been, uh, yes, he's been attacking, and uh, he'll come over the back of the couch, uh, give you a squat on the back of the head, and then disappear. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you just you just love to have that, and his great personality keeps you on your toes, I guess, <laughs> as he is now dining on a cardboard box. It appears. Yeah, I can, <laughs> what what can we say? He, you know, can't fire him. <laughs> we don't have that many producers, so. Yeah, he's the only one that would work for free. So, yeah, you know, not that we have worry about money on this podcast because we make quite a bit of it. But. So, uh, who's going to be the successor for Ange? Yeah, and so, I, I'm going to miss him as a coach. I, I think he was really great. Yeah, I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts. I mean, I mean, for as little as I, you know, I'm still in my my infancy as far as years, yeah you know, watching this stuff, but I always appreciated the way he coached for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the players liked him. I think Hotspur is a great opportunity probably. Yeah. You know, they're, they, they have things, big things on the horizon maybe. Yeah. Well, anytime a, a big Premier League job comes around and you're not in that position, uh, it's going to be basic. You're stupid to turn it down is basically the type of, you know, if if you're just working in whatever industry you work in and let's say someone comes in, offers you four or five times the amount of pay, like who's turning that down? You know? No one. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I saw a bunch of discourse on Celtic social media where it's like, oh, he's he's a snake for leaving us and shit like that. First off, no, because he didn't, it's not like he got up and left in the middle of the season. Right. So uh, let me just say this about that. Most people always, they don't think about the fact that if you're on these Twitter and Instagram and whatever it might've been, TikTok or there's a lot of fucking 12 year olds on there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So people don't, they never, nobody ever thinks about the fact that most of the people that I'm arguing with are fucking Ted. Right. Yeah. So there's not, when people, they always roll past the comments that make sense. They, they just go to the ones that don't make sense. Or like you said, the guy, somebody says he's a snake and a this and a that. That kid was probably nine. Um, Maybe yeah. not. It could have been. It, well, it's either the nine-year-old or like the sixty-year-old that's like his entire life is just Celtic. Well, let's face it. I mean, coaches, especially from what I understand in this league, they move. Yeah, they move around. It's not like the NFL where, and it happens in the NFL, but the NFL is a good example of a coach might stay fucking twenty years. Yeah. You know, it just. It's a rare occasion. Yeah. You know, same thing with baseball. It's like any other sport. Um, what are you thinking, Bailey? 
I I always think it's funny to see when people get upset about players moving, coaches moving. Um, like you said, like the NFL is a good example. Um, coaches stay twenty years because where are they where are they going to go? That's the premier like American football league. There's no higher paying coaching position unless they buy a team or something. But um, everybody's always mad when somebody they like goes like you have a good coach, obviously. Right. Um, and it's usually just people being upset that they don't know what the next coach is going to bring. If it's going to be the same or more of the same, or if it's going to, you know, we, we saw it in Cleveland. Yeah. (laughs) When players leave, everybody gets mad no matter how much good they did. I mean, he just brought him, you know, Celtic coach just brought a championship in and uh, he's a snake. Well, you weren't saying that when we were smoking the field. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's not like that was the predominant opinion, but it is funny just to see how quick people turn, which is just silly. Yeah. And again, managers of teams are not fans of teams. They don't have the same affection for their their place of work that the fans do. Otherwise, they would be fans, you know. Uh, but what does Ange Postacoglu owe Celtic? Nothing. <laughs> he, he came in to a club that was – Rangers had just won the title. Celtic had the worst season in a decade. There was no vision at all of what was next. And he totally transformed the team. Even if he left a little before, like he made it seem like he would leave, what he doesn't owe the fans anything. <laughs> yeah, it's especially in this particular league and this culture is if people that are listening now are are football fans in the NFL or college in the United States, and you haven't, I won't say don't. Just go watch a game. I mean, watch a watch a season, or yeah. the best of your ability, track a season. Mm-hmm. These people are fucking crazy. They they are. I mean, there's just it's not. You can say what you want about American football. Fans are passionate. This is a whole different level. Yeah. Whole different level. This is you. Tell me the last time Bailey you went into a B Dubs and saw a Steelers guy punch a Browns guy in the face because they hate each other so much. That shit happens every day. Yeah, just off the rip. (laughs) So, and I'm not saying this is like a super cool aspect of of soccer culture and around the world. It's not limited to Scotland or England or whatever, but yeah, it, it does. It is a little just, it's a bit more than just this is, team I like. Well, um, and interestingly, we've you've talked about this on the podcast. There's deep rooted religious yeah, political stuff. political stuff, you know, it's what sometimes when we're fortunate enough to watch a match together, especially the three of us, which doesn't happen very often, but we always talk about what we see in the crowd as far as what does that flag mean? Why does that guy have that banner? Yeah. You know, it's it's just um, it's interesting. It's different. 
Um, I still, I continue to, to, to like it most of the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, like this morning, I wasn't particular, you know, yeah. particularly thrilled about what, that, that game, but what, what sport doesn't have times where oh, like, sure. this is a total chore and to be honest. I mean, the last 15 minutes was great. I mean, yeah. it was, it was great. So, if, I mean, I don't know if you want to just kind of, yeah, go through it real quick. I, I had very little written down until almost the 27th minute where uh holland had a had a shot charges not not that great of a shot didn't didn't really pan out for him mm -hmm. um then there was a change i mean this it was so it was so boring yeah i'm writing down when in the 36th minute where, where foden came in for de bruyne and i still i didn't catch it did De Bruyne get injured? Yeah, or? so he apparently had some sort of hamstring thing going on. So the last time Man City played in the Champions League final was against Chelsea two years ago, and he got bludgeoned by a tackle from Antonio Rudiger and came off early. And that was one of the catalysts to Man City losing that final, I think, personally. So when it happened even earlier this time, of course, a non-contact thing, instantly you're thinking, well, this, I've seen this story before, you know. So I think it's hard to tell from a, a point where you're just kind of analyzing the game and maybe you're not, you know, particularly pulling for a team. But, you know, I think... I think Man City were super nervous in that first half because, like I said, no one wants to be the loser. And Inter Milan, while, of course, they earned their way to the final, their side of the bracket was way easier. Like, way easier. They Being in that final for Inter Milan was basically them playing with house money because no one expected them to win. At the beginning of the season, no one expected them to be in the final. And the only thing they could do was gain a trophy. And, you know, the only thing they had to do was something good for them. If they lost, no one really cares because the expectation was never for them to be European champions this season. Whereas for Man City, under Pep Guardiola and this project that he's been, you know, the the front man for for like seven years now it's always been about winning the champions league they they had won the premier league before he had gotten there that was already done of course he's done it five times since then but it was always about winning this game so i think that's kind of why you saw nerves from man city and maybe the something different from the way they normally have played this year. Bailey, did you, you just watched whatever portion that we saw together. You didn't watch any highlights or anything or. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. That you saw most of the, that was the, the most <laughs> consequential part of the game. So we finally there was a yellow. There was quite a few non calls. Yeah, in this game, this game wasn't um, 
officiated particularly well. I didn't think so either. Finally got a yellow in the 59th. um, And that went to uh, Barella. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was after a a kind of a close call. Uh, There was some shots. I mean, they were taking shots. Yeah, so Uh, Inter really kind of grew into the game where it seemed like, you know, the first half or so was more like we're going to sit in and just not give up chances. And then as Man City weren't really doing much of anything, um, it was, it, it quickly became, well, maybe let's go and see what we can do here. Silva to Rodrigo was the goal and it was an absolute missile. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it wasn't one of those arcing curve finesse balls. It was a bullet. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of fun to watch. I <laughs> yeah. Thought. Um, and that came 68 ish. Yeah. Uh, 71st, another near miss. This was, I don't know if you remember this particular instance, but the ball was bouncing around inside the box and heading, you know, it was going off people's heads and people's <laughs> arms and everything else. It, they're very lucky that 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 ball didn't end up inside the inside the net. Yeah, I, I thought. But if you if you look at the match, you know the team stats. Um, you can kind of like just get an inkling of what this game was like. It's it's almost dead even. Like shots mm-hmm. on target. Uh, Inner had more shots taken and more shots on target and but like possession passes pass accuracy like all of those numbers are very very similar it's not like how you usually see when a when a team is controlling a game what the stats look like yeah Uh, it's just a very very mild (laughs) stat sheet here Um, it was like a a rare sort of scrappy performance from man city which I, is not really the way they ever want to play. Like they enter to their credit, kind of force them to get a little nasty, you know, hard challenges, long balls. It wasn't a traditional Man City, 800 passes, 30 shots, 70% possession. You know. Right. It was just, it was just weird that, like you said, uh, Nobody really came in expecting Inter to win yeah. the the game. So for the for the actual game to play out the way it did, and you know, possession almost being even, like like almost exactly even, and then uh, the standard Man City with only five hundred passes, and which is just not something you typically see all the time from them. Yeah, I will. I will say. Um kind of backtracking but the Rodri goal maybe one of the better ones I've ever seen and while we beat it to death at this point this game not great but that goal will be one that I will remember for a while thinking that that was when when the time was right and Man City needed a spark that was as clutch as it gets the uh, inter 
keeper was right there. There was nothing he could do just based on the speed of the ball. Yeah, he was there was frozen. nothing he could do. Frozen. Um, so that was that was worth, I guess, the price of admission <laughs> to watch yeah. the rest of the match. And I wish we had the opportunity to do a little preview because I, I honestly would have warned you this game is not going to be very interesting probably. Yeah. Because last year it was Liverpool-Real Madrid. And there were a few goal-scoring opportunities. Real Madrid won 1-0. The year before that, Chelsea converted on basically the only chance they were ever given against Man City, 1-0. The year before that, Bayern Munich beat PSG in front of no crowd due to COVID. And uh, guess the score of that, 1-0. So mm-hmm. the last time there was a, a final that wasn't 1-0, I think was 2019 and that was Liverpool over Tottenham and even then I, I think it was 2-1 so you're not really going to get a super open you know back and forth game ever in this particular match yeah yep so I guess um for the purpose of the podcast we'll be talking about some crew stuff coming up i yeah, would assume the crew are actually in pretty good form um i'll have to show you the clip last night lucas Zellerayon scored a game-winning goal against the chicago fire um from midfield oh yes yeah we'll have to see that <laughs> yeah. maybe uh see if we can't get down there for a game or i maybe yeah if i come then we can use it as content yeah definitely uh, so. Yeah, I, I'm definitely down. Obviously, I'm I'll there. have to look at the schedule. Yeah, for sure. Just let me know. Um, one other thing. This happened this week, and I feel like we wouldn't be doing our duty. We didn't at least mention it. There's this player called Lionel Messi who you might have heard of. <laughs> Only because I heard you mention him a few times. <laughs> yeah, so if you remember his heroics in the World Cup that just happened. Um, yes, yep. If you remember that game, which I'm sure you do against France. Um, yeah, he's coming to MLS. He is, yeah. He's, wow. Inter Miami is the club of choice for him. So, in a case like that, it's almost like a retirement gig, but he's going to get paid a shit ton of money well, to play in Miami. Yeah, he's going to get a shit ton of money. What's different from this is this has happened a lot in MLS history where, like, a let's be real, kind of a washed European star comes over, but Messi's not washed, is no, he? No, he's, he's probably going to light that shit up. Yeah, so this one is actually like a, a, a huge deal. Um, already we're seeing the effects of him making that announcement uh, to the point where every single Inter-Miami home game for the rest of the year, a team that is in dead last in the league, by the way, sold out uh, perfect perfect storm yeah so you bring so Bailey I know you were off doing something but Lionel Messi is coming to the MLS to play for Miami yeah I saw that uh <clears throat> on my feed earlier so last place team gets a stalwart player that's gonna drive ticket sales gonna bring people to the fucking stadium to watch him it's gonna He's get... probably going to end up lighting up a few teams in that division. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, I mean, kind of interesting, I guess. We'll see what happens. Yeah. One of my buddies was like, hey, you want to, should we try and get tickets for the crew game when in, uh, Miami come to town? I'm like, uh, do you want to spend $400 on a ticket? Because is I'm that not, what it's going to be, you think? Yeah. It's hundreds of dollars. Just because of Messi. Because of one player. Just to, just to see Messi come play. It'll be a good game to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll be watching with a somewhat close eye. I don't, I don't, admittedly, don't follow MLS as do well you, as I do European soccer. Is but. there a local broadcast of those games, or well, you... I I ponied up the money for the the Apple TV subscription, uh, because MLS all of literally every single game is on Apple. So I think I have. This is not at all relevant to listeners but i have it logged in upstairs so oh okay yeah but uh so yeah the mls scrapped like local television broadcasts last year and they've gone all in on this new streaming thing so we'll see this is going to be huge for that because people all around the world will will pay the money to watch him uh messy no matter where he is imagine the people who've been messy fans for how long was he in that league? Twenty. Um, well, so you, he played years? for Barcelona for it's Barcelona for like six, seventeen years. One season, maybe, maybe it's been two. Time is kind of weird. Uh, I think two seasons at PSG. So uh, now he's coming to Inter Miami in MLS. So uh, yeah, kind of a big deal. That's uh, something we're going to have to pay attention to for sure. The um, I haven't watched most of the games that we've covered on this podcast with you in person just because of logistics, but to my knowledge, he's the only player that ever brought you off of your feet during that World Cup final against France. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I re- that was... I don't know. I, it seems like it was a a long, long time ago. Yeah, it was but almost world, six months. That was so much fun. Yeah, it made the winter time definitely <laughs> a little better. Yeah, we at least had something to do, right? Yeah, for sure. So, so that's that's I guess the big headline in the world of soccer right now. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll definitely have to keep a little bit of a attention on that this summer. As well as we have some uh, USA tournaments, some games going on uh, that we will definitely look out for as well. So, yeah, so I we're just gonna continue with uh, our typical format F one and soccer, but we're gonna mix in, we're gonna sprinkle in some NASCAR. We're gonna continue to keep a close eye on the IndyCar series, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, who knows how long this is going to go on, but I think at some point we're probably going to have to incorporate, um, you know, and if it goes an hour and 20, it goes an hour and 20, but we probably need to do F1, IndyCar, NASCAR, soccer. Yeah. I, we'll just see. And whatever else. I mean, shit. <laughs> if the Guardians make the playoffs. I guess we'll be talking about that too. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. First off, I don't know if anyone saw the the game on on Friday. Fourteen innings, walk off win. 
of course, uh, I don't think any of you guys have the pleasure of Bally Sports. That's correct. So, uh, first of all, <laughs> when I grew up Side as a note. kid, <laughs> and I'm, Dad, you, <laughs> I sound I'm sounding like you now, but I could turn the TV on without cable and watch the Indians. Channel 43, local broadcast station. And then it went, okay, now the Indians are on this cable network. Okay, fine. Now the Indians are not on, well, they are on this cable network, but since you don't have cable anymore, you're a streamer, you can't watch it. Unless you do what you did, is pony up money for the sports app, right? But so, um, what is the Bally Sports app uh, price tag? Too much, like 180 bucks a year. Um, I don't pay Bally a single cent. I just have connections. Um, I I I bought the Apple TV MLS season pass because I didn't want to go a whole season of not watching through. So, and that's probably not that bad. It was a hundred for the whole year. That's what the F1 is eighty. Yeah. But at Bally is particularly bad because it's a bad service that is going bankrupt that limited itself to like three cable providers and did no streaming their first season. And then they brought an app this year and then said, oh, 180 bucks. Well, you only get to watch your team. Here's what Major League Baseball did. And, you know, other leagues as well. You took America's pastime away from Think about all the people that are 70, 80, 90 years old who relished watching the fucking Cleveland Indians. Yeah. And what are they doing? I don't know. I mean, either they have time work, not time work, Christ. Spectrum. Spectrum, cable, and they're paying a shit ton of money because Valley's on Spectrum. But if you don't have cable, and let's face it, 80% of the United States does not have a hard-wired cable anymore. Everybody streams everything. And the Major League Baseball decided that, well, you know, we're not going to make it available to local television. Yeah. Stupid. I This will probably be the last season of Bally anyways because they've uh, gone under. Can you believe that? But... Uh... Yeah, well, it'll be more of the same. I think that those old heads are probably just listening to the game on the radio these days, if they even still do that. Yeah. I oh, part of actually, it's not a bad way to to watch or not watch to listen to listen take to in a game. take in a game is yeah. you know we've got one of the greatest. Yeah, um, I the sort of uh, conspiracy guy in me is thinking. The MLB is looking at how MLS is doing with the Apple TV thing because they already have a deal with Apple TV where they show like uh, a game a week or something. I think we're not too far off of seeing um, a point where you spend $100 a year and every MLB game is just on Apple TV. Well, and that would be that would be fine because the problem the problem that's been expanding in our this great time period of sports for us is streaming used to be great because it saved you a ton of money period. You could get two or three streaming apps for seven to $10 a month and you're recovered period. 
And then you had people go, all right, well, we're pulling this from this major streaming because we're starting this one. And now we're starting this one. And they're all 20 something dollars, 15, 20 something dollars a month. Now you got, you want to watch the crew? You got to get this. You want to watch the guards? You got to get this. You want to watch racing? You got to do this. Like just combine some of them, charge $10 more a year or what, or leave the price the same and just push it all to Apple. I don't care if it's fucking Apple. I don't care if it's just stop raking people who want to watch more than one sport a year for all their, their hard earned money. It's, it's more expensive than having cable right now. Yeah. If you want, if, if you're like me and follow a bunch of sports pretty closely, I mean, if I, if I wanted Bally sports and didn't have the, luckily the opportunity to just know someone uh i'd be looking at probably 400 bucks a year just to watch sports because my last my final point espn plus peacock paramount plus is what and the mls season pass those are the four things i pay for and then on top of that, there's the whole Valley Sports thing. Sure. And but, then national broadcasts are on cable. So I'll say this about that. At 400 a year, it might sound like a lot of money, but divide that by 12. Reasonable a month. Yeah. That's 30-something. When, yeah. when I cut cable, AT&T was $240 a month for cable and internet. 240 a month. Yeah times 12 so we're almost at three g's right yeah that's i'm fine you know <laughs> the funny thing is is hulu and all these these other services are like oh it's 9.99 uh no it's 9.99 if you're an old lady with one fucking tv but if you have five screens in your house which let's face it studio 2520 is no mansion but we've got a we've got screens here you got to pay extra for that. You know, you you, you want live TV, got to pay extra for that. It's it's still cheaper. And I don't I'm not dad, I'm not going down that road <laughs> cuz you and I've had that conversation many many times. I'm talking to my father um, about the foibles of cable. It's it's a great time technology-wise to be I it just hurts my heart that people can't watch baseball for free. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, that's what's the most annoying is just in the age of convenience. Why has Bally sports made it so damn difficult? Yeah. Which is probably why they're going bankrupt. Well, so. and I mean, it's, it's a case of like on a Sunday night at eight thirty, everybody's kind of winding down or whatever. I'm turning TV on. If the, the Cleveland Indians were on TV, I would be watching them. Yeah. Just because it's mindless, relaxing shit to watch, but they're not. So, yeah. Oh, well, well, we went down the streaming uh, complain, complaining road here long enough, I would say. But, uh, yeah. Well, it's sort of a, a catch-up episode, I think it's fair to say. A lot of, we're a little all over the board, which is fine. But Yeah. There's been a lot going on here the last 10 days or so, and this is a Sunday episode, which I 
don't think we've ever done. Yeah. But uh, things schedule-wise uh, shook out. Yep. Garrett was in the Tri-County area, so dropped into the studio. Bailey, of course, uh, here. And of note, uh, good news, uh, Bailey has secured himself a property um closing over in Louisville here in oh, july let's go so, leopards yeah, go leopards from the high school really yeah this so is we, news to me folks oh yeah well the neighborhood is you're off of uh the main street but still very close to the uh the high school and the stadium and all that so i, mean, I listen i don't have, have a some sweet games <laughs> my wife is from Louisville. Uh, to our droves of fans, don't go knocking on Bailey. If anyone door. listens to the podcast from Louisville, I don't have to tell you this, but you, you know, you they never leave. They're proud of their. They're proud. <laughs> they're of their very town. proud of their town. So it's fine. So is here and wherever we may be recording from. Also, somewhere near Akron. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so good, good stuff for that and. You know, this is probably going to be about an hour and fifteen, so that's a that's a bonus episode. Yep. Um, real real quick, uh, in case you guys didn't know, um, sixteen minutes ago, two years ago today, I became a father. It's Nora's birthday today. Oh, Shout nice. out! Thanks. Shout so. out to, of course, Bailey, a great father, and Nora. A great niece of mine. So I'm excited to, to get to know more now that she is a lot closer. Yeah. So coming home, which is good. All right. Well, we should probably get out of here since we've been rambling agreed. for a while. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Let's get gone. So I'm going to go ahead and the outro track is going to be the, the one I talked about off the second album. Um, don't cry. For executive producers, Richard Tanaka, Bill Davies, Jim Sloan, Tim Kay. This has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright is 2023. We will see you next time.